0: Thank you so much for joining us for this day where we remember and reflect and celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. We're so glad to have you here with us. I've watched a thing happen over the years as a pastor on Easter Sunday that kind of makes me chuckle because I kind of like watching weird, awkward moments sometimes. Uh, But if you grew up in a certain church tradition, this will be very common to you. If not, you'll get where I'm coming from. But a lot of times in certain church traditions on Easter, people will go up to somebody and they'll say, he has risen. And then the response that's supposed to come back is what? He has risen indeed, indeed, right? So that's the deal. But the problem comes when the person who goes up to somebody and they say, he has risen. And the person they go up to doesn't know the code and they don't know what they're supposed to say. And all sorts of awkward moments happen that I kind of chuckle at. This one happened maybe a year ago. I saw it. Someone went up to this person and said, he has risen. And you could tell that person had no idea what they're supposed to say. And they kind of looked and said, "Um, yes, he has. (laughs) And I actually like that better because no one really says indeed anymore unless they're looking for a job, right? So... We're going to try that and maybe start something new. So I'm going to say, he has risen, and you're going to say, yes, he has. Ready? He has risen. Yes, he has. Perfect. There we go. Maybe we'll start a new thing. This morning, we celebrate Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection that we could now have a personal, life-giving, everlasting relationship with Almighty God. It's an amazing thing. I want you to watch this video, and I'll be right back.
1: Beautiful. A dramatic landing, thanks to the skill and nerve of a rookie pilot, helped through a harrowing experience by a total stranger. 21-year-old pilot Taylor Hash says everything felt fine when she took off last Friday from Pontiac, Michigan, in her single-engine plane. But in a nearby aircraft, veteran pilot Chris Yates realized something was off
0: literally just noticed the the nose wheel the nose tire everything fall to the ground and just bounced down the runway
1: the control tower explaining the situation to taylor telling her she was gonna have to land her plane without a front tire diamond eight delta charlie you lost your front nose gear tire copy eight delta charlie your entire front wheel assembly is on the runway roger that um should i remain in the pattern it was definitely the the scariest moment I've had um, probably in my life. But Yates happens to be the former director of aviation at SpaceX. He's also a father and says he heard anxiety in Taylor's voice.
0: I was thinking of my daughter and just how um, afraid and alone
1: she probably felt. Yates and the flight controller told Taylor to circle the field until she was ready to land, giving the two of them time to talk. Delta Charlie Pilot, what's your name, kiddo? My name's Taylor.
0: And I didn't respond on the radio because I, I just, I couldn't even talk. You know, I was welled up. And, Taylor, this is Chris. Um, my daughter's name is Taylor, and I taught her to fly. We're going to be just fine, know.
1: Thank you very much. And you can really tell how my voice went from frantic, what am I going to do, to, okay, I, you know, I can do this. You know, and that was 100% all thanks to him. With Chris's encouragement, Taylor's confidence grew. You going to be a
0: career pilot?
1: I was planning
0: on it. This is a good start. This is a good story to your legacy,
1: kid. Then came the critical moment.
0: That a kid. Nice job. Here she comes. The nose is going to come down. You're okay. You're okay. You're okay. Talk to me, kid. Good. I'm all good. That a girl. I'm proud of you.
1: But as soon as he said that, I just, you know, the waterworks came. And-
0: you can hear my voice change at the end. I was, I was crying too.
1: An emotional ending for both pilots who formed a lasting bond in the air.
0: I've probably seen that 10 times and I still get choked up every time. What a cool story, isn't it? What I want you to notice from that story is typically, and those of you who fly or are in the aviation world know this, Towers and planes communicate to each other through call signs. You heard the tower caller Delta Charlie 8. They use these call signs to talk to one another. And on the radio, that's all you're supposed to hear is call signs. You keep it at the call sign. Chris, when he saw what happened, knew that in order to help her in this desperate situation, it had to get personal. It had to get personal. So he said to her, Delta 8 pilot, I'm Chris, what's your name, kiddo? He knew it had to get personal. When God sees you and I in the lives that we live here on earth, he knows that in order to save us, in order to empower us, in order to help us live for him, it has to get personal. That's what God does. That's what we celebrate here this morning on Easter Sunday in the day that we marked the resurrection of Jesus that God reaches down into humanity and he gets personal. This is the greatest news any human being can ever ever hear. That God so loved his creation and wanted to be with them that when they rebelled away from them he didn't blow them off. He didn't cast them aside. But he loved them so much that he sent his only son. And his son came to earth, lived the perfect life on our behalf that we couldn't live, went to the cross. On the cross, he became our sin. The Bible says he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us. Then he paid the penalty that we were supposed to pay for our sin before a holy God. And he died. And he rose from the dead. Because even death could not stop God's love. And now he gives us this amazing invitation. This invitation comes to us and he says, if you come to me and surrender your life, you get at least three things. Number one, you get this soul-fulfilling relationship that will last forever and ever and ever and have no end. Second, you no longer have to fear death. As human beings, one of our greatest fears is death. Because it's final and we know it is there for all of us. But because of what we celebrate this morning, we no longer have to fear death because the follower of Jesus Christ can know that death is the beginning to the best life they can imagine. And the third thing is we can live this life with hope. We can live this life with hope. For the follower of Jesus Christ, what you experience in this world, in the here and now, is the worst thing that will happen to you. The pain you experience here is the worst you'll experience because it's going to be eternal paradise with Christ forever and ever and ever. And today we celebrate that death could not hold those gifts back. Couldn't do it. This morning, God gets personal, and this is what we celebrate. God extending us an invitation for a personal relationship with him. But there's some things that happen when we talk about a personal relationship with God. Some of us in this room come from different religious backgrounds. We come from backgrounds where it was almost like this system was set up where it was a pass-fail system. In order to get In good graces with God, you had to do certain things. You had to make certain things. You had to pass. The problem is it felt like there was too many things that we had to pass, and many of us don't feel like we ever passed, and we walk out of that system feeling like we failed God, feeling like we didn't measure up. And so when we think about our relationship with God, there's this awkward thing because we feel like, well, we tried that. We started off like everybody else, but we didn't quite make it. Or maybe you feel God is distant. You've gone through some painful experiences in life. The stresses of life are such that there's anxieties, there's fears, there's just plain stresses, and there's just this distance. It's like your life is all full of all that you can see here in the here and now, and there's this distance between you and God, and it's hard to overcome that distance. Or maybe this whole idea of a relationship with God, just is kind of awkward. It's confusing. It's weird. You never thought of it. Many of us this morning are in all sorts of different places. Those are just three relational scenarios when it comes to our relationship with God. But many of us come in here, and if we went around, we'd literally hear hundreds of different stories and places of where we all are at. And there's complexities to accepting God's invitation, but this is what I want you to get this morning. Jesus builds amazing personal relationships with those of us who experience religious failure, distance, and awkwardness. Jesus builds amazing personal relationships with those of us who experience religious failure, distance, and awkwardness. I've seen it time and time and time again, both in the pages of Scripture as well as in the life here and now. I want you to take a look at a painting. This is a painting of the story I'm about to read for you from the Gospel of John. This is Jesus after he rose from the dead. He goes and meets his disciples by the seashore. And he has breakfast with them on the beach. And there's a fire there. You can see the disciples in the background taking care of a net because there's just a lot of fish that was, were caught. The sun is rising over the lake. This is resurrection morning. The real one. But I want you to notice something in the picture that isn't there physically that you can look and see. What I want you to notice is that Jesus came to his disciples in their absolute lowest point. They felt like religious failures. They felt like they were distant from him. They felt like there's this awkwardness now a relationship because they promised they were going to do all these things when he died and rose again and they're not doing it. In fact, the opposite of what they dreamed and hoped for is in reality. And they don't know what to do with this resurrected Jesus. It's distant, it's awkward, there's failure. There's all these things going on and this is the place that God walks into with them. This is the place that God meets them. He doesn't tell them you have to measure up first, get it together, regroup your promise. In the midst of the brokenness, in the midst of the confusion, in the midst of the failure, the resurrection Jesus shows up. And he handles them in an absolutely amazing way. As you look at the picture, listen to the story that I read for you. Afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, Nathanael from Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out and they got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize it was Jesus. And he called out to them, Friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, Throw your net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, It is the Lord. As soon as Simon Peter heard him say, It is the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off, and he jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the net full of fish, for they were not far from shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of burning coals, and there was fish and some bread on it. Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish you have just caught, so Simon Peter climbed back into the boat and dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153, but even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, Come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dared ask him, Who are you? because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came took the bread, and he gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time Jesus appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. In this story, God gets really, really personal. God gets really, really personal. When the disciples are at their absolute worst, he shows up I think to a certain degree the disciples felt like absolute religious failures. They felt distance. They felt like they let him down and it made it awkward. They felt like they never measured up to how Jesus saw them. After all this was the rabbi everyone talked about, he did all these amazing miracles and he chose them. But they didn't live up to that choice. They were with Jesus for three and a half years they were closer to him than any human being ever was and they totally blew it it was not supposed to be like this and they did what human beings typically do when we feel regret shame and remorse they tried to escape here Jesus dies they saw it He appears to them twice already. Jesus did exactly what he told them he was going to do. And they're still struggling to wrap their mind around it. And they're mad at themselves that they're struggling. They're saying we should be beyond this. We should be further than this spiritually. Jesus is probably disappointed with us. Can you imagine how they felt? Three and a half years, they hung out with God and when they look at their lives in this great moment where they're supposed to rise up and be these solid spiritual pillars, they can't measure up. They were going to change the world like Jesus told them. But it feels so different now. It feels so strange. It wasn't supposed to be like this. He died. And he said he was going to come back, and we've seen him, and it looks like him, I, I think, but no one's ever come back from the dead. Is this really happening? In the moment of their brokenness, in the moment of their shame, in the moment of their remorse, in the moment of feeling like they never measured up, Peter sits there in this probably tent, and he just says, you know what? I'm going fishing. And they said, yeah, we'll go with you. Let's go back to life before this whole Jesus thing. We're fishermen. Let's go back and fish and pretend like this whole thing never happened. Let's escape. Let's shut it off. Let's run from the feelings of guilt, run from the feelings of remorse, cover up the feelings of shame. Let's just go fishing. We let God down. Let's just try to make it go away. We typically do this in these moments. And we paint God's response towards us in the absolute worst light because we can't imagine how gracious, merciful, loving, and kind God is. Peter probably felt it the worst. He was one of the main leaders. He did all these historic things. Peter was the guy when Jesus said, who do people say that I am? And he said, you are the Christ, the one and only Messiah. And Jesus said, you're right in what you say. Peter was the guy when Jesus did this really tough, tough teaching and half the crowd, more than half the crowd, walked away from him. And Jesus looked at the disciples and said, hey, are you guys taking off too? And Peter said, where else would we go, Lord? You have the words of eternal life. It was Peter Peter was the guy who was with James and John and they went on the Mount of Transfiguration and Jesus pulled back his earthly shell and the glory of God shined through and blew them all away and they saw that this truly is the Son of God and Peter shared that incredible moment with the Son of God. And Peter was the guy that Jesus said, you know what? You're gonna deny me three times. And Peter said, "Uh uh-uh, I will die before I let that happen. And then he denied him three times. Religious failure, distant, awkward. Where do you go from here? I don't know, so let's just go fishing. And in that brokenness, in that awkwardness, in that failure, in that distant they receive the most amazing personal God moment. The very first word Jesus says to them in that situation, it says in verse five that he saw them in that place and he called out, friends, friends. They were probably thinking the last thing we are in this moment are friends with God And now this guy, who we don't totally know who he is, is on the store, and he's calling us friends. They hear the word. And they realize it is Jesus. He has risen just as he said he would. And then Peter, in that dark, broken place, gets this flash of hope. Maybe if I go and make things right, maybe if I lay out some more promises, maybe if I say the right things, he will take me back and restore me. And he can't handle waiting any longer, and so he grabs his outer garment, and he dives in the water, and he starts swimming towards his Savior. And he's swimming towards his Savior on a hairstring of hope that he'll take him back. And he's probably practicing his speech as he's swimming. If I say this and I do this. And he gets to the shore. And Jesus, we find out later, totally restores him. And the reason Peter jumped out of the boat into the water is because he knew this in the core of his being. That a personal relationship with Jesus means more than any earthly success you could have. There's 150 fish in a net and a fisherman blew it off, jumped in the water and went for Jesus because he no longer wanted to live under the guise of religious failure, distance and awkwardness. And he knew he could find life in Christ. So they get to the shore and they see this warm fire and food and Jesus says, bring some of the catch that you have. We're going to be here a while. We're going to hang out. And then there was this awkward moment. Have you ever been talking about somebody behind their back with another person, and all of a sudden they walk in while you're doing that? (laughs) Sure, none of you have done that. I'm the only person that's done that. (laughs) Of course, that's a dumb question to ask right now because who's going to admit to that on Easter Sunday in church with your family around you, right? So that's my bad. That awkwardness is probably what they're feeling. Jesus told us what he's going to do. He told us where he'd be, but we're wondering, is it him? Could he really, did this really happen? And in the middle of that kind of, eh, we think this is okay, but we're not sure moment, Jesus says to them something incredible in verse 12. He says, Come and have breakfast. Come and have breakfast. Is there anything more relational than come and have breakfast? Is there anything more friendly than come and have breakfast? Is there anything more hospitable than come and have breakfast? The first thing Jesus does in this awkward moment is invite them into something personal, Come and have breakfast. Jesus comes in the brokenness and in the failure and in the distance and in the awkwardness and simply says, come and have breakfast. God approaches those of us who feel like we failed him those who feel like we're distant from him, those of us who feel awkward in this relationship, and he meets us right where we're at, and he says, come be with me. I don't care about all that stuff. We'll deal with that later. Come be with me. Let you and I being together be the essence of the beginning of your new life. Come. Yeah, but what about this, and what about that? What about come and have breakfast. We'll deal with that later. That's our God. That's who He is. After He says, Come and have breakfast, it says, None of the disciples dared to ask Him, Who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. But yet they have that question. It's like, Yeah, I think it's Him, but I'm not sure. You ask, No, I'm not going to ask you. No, no, I don't. There's still this awkwardness. They needed a confirmation. They needed an affirmation. They're just like us. So many of us walk with God. We have this great relationship with God. But we always are wondering, does he really love me? Even in the midst of all the things I do in this life that are not according to his will. We all need this affirmation. They especially needed it, given their past and what they're dealing with. And then look what Jesus does. This is, It's amazing. He does this When they're looking for this affirmation, they're wondering if it's really him. Well, can we go back to how it was before all this awkwardness? And it says, Jesus came, he took the bread, and he gave it to them, and he did the same with the fish. This is written by one of the guys who was there, John. He's writing how this all happened. And what we can get from this is Jesus set up a communion last supper in that moment. Much like we looked at at Good Friday, Jesus is bringing them back. And he's doing it in a way, he's almost recreating the scene of how they were hanging out together before they came to take Jesus to the cross. And he's doing this in a way to say, I accept you. You're mine. We're good. I love you. We can continue just as we we were because of the grace of God, and you didn't think I would know you'd be in this place? I'm God. Jesus meets them again and again and again in the spot they are, and he loves them where they are, and he is kind to them where they are. I think Jesus was meeting them in the midst of their confusion and gracefully and gently and powerfully saying, yes, it really is me. Everything I told you is true. And I'm going to show you some amazing things. And you're going to start walking in the things that we talked about. And you no longer have to fear death. And you no longer have to feel like God will reject you. The invitation is always open. And verse 14 says this was the third time that Jesus in his resurrected state initiated this invitation to them. In the midst of the feelings of failure and distance and weirdness and remorse, Jesus is saying, it is me. Even death could not stop my heart intention. I love you. I accept you. I forgive you. You are mine. Happy Easter. Jesus came to earth, went to the cross, died and rose from the dead, so that regardless of your past, regardless of what you have done, you could have an amazing relationship with him. And that's what he's doing in that painting. Going back to our flight story that we started with. Taylor and Chris had become friends They have this mentorship where they go flying together now. They're friends with one another. This relationship was brought out of a really difficult situation. And we see that with the disciples as well. In their religious failure, in their distance, in their weirdness, this deeper personal relationship with God came out. It's almost like they had to go through that to get to this amazing place where they would be at after this. Because Jesus builds amazing personal relationships with those of us who experience religious failure, distance, and awkwardness. He does it time and time and time again. Some of us are here and we feel like religious failures. Some of us are here and we feel distant from God. Like we didn't measure up. Some of us are here and we feel just awkward and weird or we haven't even thought about it. The resurrected Jesus this morning meets us right where we're at. And he's loving and kind and gracious and merciful beyond what we can think or imagine. So how do we start this relationship with him? How do we start relating to him like he wants us to? Two pairs of words. First of all, honesty and humility. The Bible says if you approach God and in your heart there's honesty and humility, he will never, ever, ever turn you away. If you come to him and say, I need you. I want to have a relationship like this. I don't even know how to begin, where to start. He will always, always accept the heart that's humble and the heart that's honest. Then to take that heart and put it into action, the Bible says we repent and we believe. Repent has kind of gotten a bad rap. People hear the word repent and they kind of cringe and think that's a bad word. Repent is a beautiful word. Repentance is a beautiful word. Repent means we turn away from all that stuff that allures us off of our our attention, off of God, and, and it pulls us into this brokenness and this pain, and then we turn away from that, and we turn to eternal life. We turn to this love, this mercy, this grace. We turn from death to new life. That's amazing. And we believe And it's not just a, yeah, I believe Jesus is real. It's, I believe so much that you are real. I'm going to give you my
1: whole life.
0: And I'm going to continually believe, day after day after day after day. And this amazing relationship comes from that. We know that we're supposed to live good and holy lives. But you know what I think? You will never ever live a good and holy life until you first experience the goodness and grace of God. You have to have that first. And if you have honesty and humility, you will experience God. Many times we feel like we have to fix ourselves before we can come before God. Nothing can be further from the truth. Pastor and author Dane Ortland tells this story to illustrate that. He said, imagine there's this compassionate doctor who's traveled deep into the jungle to provide medical care to a primitive tribe afflicted with this contagious and awful disease. He has all of his medical equipment flown in. He's researched. He knows exactly what the disease is. He knows exactly how to treat it. He has all the medications he needs to eradicate this disease at hand. He goes in. He is wealthy. He has no need of financial compensation. He just wants to go and provide care to the afflicted. And he gets there and he sets everything up. And the afflicted refuse because they want to take care of themselves. They want to heal on their own terms. And so days go by, and then finally a few brave people come forward, and they receive the care that the doctor brought. How does the doctor feel in that moment? Do you think he says, sorry, I brought all this stuff, and you wanted to take care of yourselves and fix it, so go ahead and go fix it? No. The doctor feels joy. The doctor feels the satisfaction welling up because this is why the doctor came. That's our God. The doctor feels joy. His joy increases to the degree that the sick come to him for help and healing because that's the whole reason he came. How much more if the disease are not strangers, but his own family that he created. So it is with us in Jesus. He doesn't get flustered or frustrated when we come to him time and time again for forgiveness or a renewed life or renewed pardon with our stresses and our needs and our emptiness. That's the whole point. That's why he came, to heal. That's what we celebrate this morning. He went down in the horror of death, plunged out through the other side in order to give us, the human race, a limitless supply of love, a limitless supply of grace, a limitless supply of mercy, a limitless supply of forgiveness. And all we have to do is receive it. We can't pay him back. Don't even try. It won't work. The way you honor him in this gift is you receive it and you rest in it and you revel in it. And the more you revel and enjoy it and rest in it, the more joy God gets because that's why he came. Dean Orland says, Jesus Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help And mercy. That's what God is like. That's who He is. Our mission at Crossview Church is to lead you into a growing relationship with Jesus. And if you have questions about any of this, if you have questions about what it means to have a personal relationship with God, we would love to talk to you about that. So feel free to contact us through the website or the call the church office. We'd love to set up a time to talk. Also, I encourage you, there's a little booklet at the Welcome Center. Of what Easter is all about and how you know it can be. it's real, I encourage you to stop by and pick that up if you want it. But here's the deal: Today, the resurrected Jesus has given you the greatest invitation you'll ever receive in your life: an invitation from death to life. And I encourage you before your head hits the pillow tonight, you receive the invitation with all honesty and humility. And say, God, I need you. Will you come? What amazing love he has.